Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. I told, I told the nurse, and then they sent the doctor in, because usually it's a two-day process. CMS has issued notices of deficiency against both hospitals, um, making crystal clear that Mtala required this care and that the hospitals violated federal law. I want hospitals and doctors to give care based off of their medical knowledge and experience, not from a politician who doesn't care. Last August, a Missouri hospital denied Melissa Farmer an abortion. She hadn't wanted her pregnancy to be terminated. She and her boyfriend had already picked out a name, Maeve. But at 17 weeks, Melissa's water broke. Her doctors called it a preterm premature rupture of membranes, and it meant her baby had almost no chance of survival. At Freeman Hospital in Joplin, Melissa's doctors recommended an abortion. Then they told her they couldn't provide her one. The hospital's decision to deny Melissa the procedure was based on state law. Missouri banned abortion after the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision little more than a week earlier. Ultimately, she had to travel some 300 miles to Illinois to receive care. But the story didn't end there. Freeman Hospital's refusal to treat Melissa led to an unprecedented federal investigation. And this week, in a decision that's the first of its kind, a federal agency announced that the hospital's refusal to treat Melissa's medical emergency was a violation of federal law. And now, to talk about her experience and what it's like to be at the center of a federal investigation, we welcome Melissa Farmer. Melissa, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me today. Thank you for having me. It's definitely an honor to be here. Melissa, your story, as far as news coverage goes, began in August 2022, but your experience with pregnancy obviously did not begin there. Can you take us back just a little further, Melissa, to July of last year? What were you doing then, and what was on your mind? Um, pregnancy was going along, um, you know, in the summer. I had a morning sickness, so I was just focusing on my pregnancy and staying healthy. There was no uh, no major complications in life at that point. Mm-hmm. And in August, you reached 17 weeks in your pregnancy. At what moment did you realize, Melissa, that something wasn't going the way that it should with your body? On the morning of August 2nd, I um, woke up to a gush of fluid coming out, and I knew that there was something wrong and immediately contacted my OB. I was sent to an L&D department, not directly into the ER, so I actually immediately got to see my OB. Mm -hmm. And then from Um, that point, yeah, what happened thereafter? They confirmed that I had lost all of my amniotic fluid and that this pregnancy would no longer be viable. And at what point did they tell you that they could not help you anymore? They informed me that our daughter was no longer going to survive and that my life was in danger. And normally they would be able to intervene. 
but because Missouri law was not clear, they recommended that I leave the state to get care. And so from that point, where did you go? Well, she recommended that we go to Illinois um, because Kansas was voting on that same issue that day. Um, But we could not find any hospitals willing to accept us in Illinois or in Kansas near us at all. Um, So our first option was to go to Kansas City, the largest hospital in the area. And when you got there, what did they tell you? Initially, they were going to provide us a um, delivery, mm-hmm. and she, she went to confer with her legal department and came back and said, I'm sorry, we cannot do any care for you because it is too politically heated in this environment right now. Tell us what happened next after Kansas City told you that they could not help you. That's when the fear really began to set in, that being denied care and my life is in danger the longer we wait. It it really just set fear in my heart. And what happened next, and what did you do? After we were um, dismissed at KU, we were going back to Joplin to follow my OB's advice, which was to not leave the hospital unless I had a provider that was going to care for me. Mm. So we went back to Joplin and admitted to the hospital to wait. So how is it that you ended up in Illinois? While I was in the hospital the second time at Freeman, I began looking at um, abortion clinics in several states. None of them could see us in a reasonable amount of time, or I couldn't get through to the phone lines because I was on hold for three hours. Oh, my gosh. And and their scheduling was about two weeks out, at least. I did get a hold of one clinic in Colorado, which is about a 14-hour drive, and they were willing to see us. And in the middle of that phone call, I got another call from another abortion support network that contacted a a closer clinic in Illinois, Mm -hmm. and they were able to see me the next day. So um, they understood the emergency that I was having and was able to give me the care that I needed. Melissa, when Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Dobbs decision earlier in the summer of 2022, did you have any sense of its having any directly personal impact on you as a woman and as someone in their second trimester of pregnancy? I didn't anticipate that it would affect my pregnancy because we had made it to the second trimester. I felt like we had finally reached a part of the pregnancy that we could have smooth sailing. I began to feel comfortable and safe in our pregnancy. Uh, did not anticipate any, any anything that followed after. Mm-hmm. So was the that overturning really not on your mind at that time? It was on my mind, actually. I started seeing, you know, a few news reports of what was happening to some women already. And I was I was a little concerned, but I didn't think that it would happen to me because I didn't want to have such a negative feeling towards my pregnancy. I wanted to be positive and, and uh, have, you know, every good outcome expected in our pregnancy. Right, right. Can you talk with us about the journey to Illinois? 
I do remember that morning. We we checked out of the hospital Thursday evening, and we um, left early Friday morning. It had to have been like four in the morning. And when I woke up at three or whatever, I started feeling a lot more pain. Mm-hmm. And on the drive there, it's about five hour drive. Uh, they the pain became would come in waves, and we realized that I was actually in labor. Oh wow. Yeah, I was I was in full active labor. By the time we got to the clinic, the doctor, um, I told I told the nurse, and then they sent the doctor in because usually it's a two day process. And the doctor did an exam, and he said, "No, you're ready right now, and we can perform the procedure right now." Mm-hmm. And the doctors in Illinois, did you get any sense that you know they were shocked by what you had experienced in Joplin? The providers in Illinois were some of the most compassionate and caring care that I had the entire time through this process. Mm-hmm. Melissa, what is a message, if you have one, for hospitals in Missouri? I want hospitals and doctors to give care based off of their medical knowledge and experience, not from a politician who doesn't care. We're talking to Melissa Farmer, who was denied an abortion by a Missouri hospital in August 2022. Her case has become the center of an unprecedented federal investigation, which found that the hospital violated federal law. Melissa, what do you want people to know about how these hospitals' positions and their decisions have impacted you? I mean, the threat to my life was real. Um, The appending loss of our daughter on top of that was just unimaginably tragic. There should never be a barrier to people obtaining the health care that they need, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that includes an abortion. And it's unconscionable to force pregnant people to the brink of death before intervening. Melissa, are you comfortable talking about your involvement with campaigning against Republican lawmakers and officials like Eric Schmidt? Absolutely. After we were sent home from KU Med and before we had to wait it out at Freeman, before I knew that I was going to get care, I reached out to Bill White and a few other politicians. Bill White was the only one that I was able to get a hold of. Mm -hmm. And I let him know the situation. And I wanted to know if the law's intent was to force women into life-threatening situations before allowing these doctors to intervene, especially in a viable pregnancy. Unfortunately, Mr. White was unprepared, and he was really ignorant of these pregnancy matters. He sent me to an anti-abortion clinic and promised to contact Senator Hawley and Schmidt on my behalf, but I never heard back from any of them. Mm -hmm. This experience made me realize that these laws are putting lives in danger, and politicians are not taking action to address these issues. And that was Senator Bill White you were referencing. Did you ever hear from Eric Schmidt, the Attorney General? I never heard from either Schmidt or Holly. Did you have any expectation that they would? Yes, because they're the ones that wrote these laws, and I assumed that they would want to ensure that all lives were protected under these laws that they write. As we think about how uh, people who are making these kinds of decisions get to that place, Is there something that you want Missouri voters in particular to be thinking about or to understand about the, you know, the everyday person effect that these laws have? It's 
crucial to understand that this can happen to anyone. This can happen to your wife, your daughter, your sister. Uh, pregnancy can be a beautiful journey, but it can also become a medical nightmare in Missouri. And I want all Missourians to know that. Um, you know, the pregnancy that you had, you know, the baby you lost was uh, one that you wanted. Now that you've been through what you have in Missouri and the laws stand where they are, how do you feel about potentially being pregnant again in this state? That's a, that's a very emotional subject for me, but I will answer it for you. It was such a harrowing experience for us that I did not want to risk this happening again. And two months after, I, I did get a tubal ligation because it was just too risky to try again in the state. Melissa, do you have any thoughts of leaving Missouri after experiencing this? Yeah, actually, I did. I did leave Missouri. Do you think you would ever come back? Uh, I'm not opposed to Missouri. Um, it's just really right now because of the situation that we've been presented and the trials and troubles that pushed us out of Missouri for now. But uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stay out of Missouri. It's a beautiful state. I love the state. There's wonderful people there. Well, we hope that you're one of the wonderful people who come back. <laughs> Lisa Farmer is a Missouri woman who a formerly Missouri woman who was denied an abortion by Joplin Hospital last August. Her case has become the center of a federal investigation. That investigation found the hospital's denial of the procedure a violation of federal law. Melissa, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll speak with an attorney who's been supporting Melissa Farmer's case. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, we heard from Melissa Farmer, a former Joplin resident who was refused care by hospitals in Missouri and Kansas for a life-threatening complication with her 17-week pregnancy. This occurred in August 2022, just over a week after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and a trigger ban on nearly all abortions went into effect in Missouri. To continue this conversation, we have attorney Michelle Banker. Michelle is Director of Reproductive Rights and Health Litigation at the National Women's Law Center. She's representing Melissa Farmer in her complaints against the hospitals that denied her an emergency abortion. Michelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, when you spoke with us back in mid-November, the federal investigation of Freeman Hospital in Joplin, Missouri, where doctors would not provide Melissa Farmer with the medical care that she as a pregnant woman needed, 
immediately is um, what we were talking about. Can you remind us who is leading this investigation and what was it trying to determine? Sure. So um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services is the federal agency that's charged with enforcing um, a statute called EMTALA, which stands for the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. Um, EMTALA was enacted nearly 40 years ago, um, and um, it has long afforded federal protections to people who need emergency care, um, and that includes pregnant people who need emergency abortion care. Mm -hmm. Please continue. (laughs) Sure, sure. So um, we filed uh, complaints with CMS under EMTALA on behalf of Ms. Farmer um, against Freeman Hospital West in, in Joplin, Missouri, and the University of Kansas Health System in Kansas City. Um, those are the two hospitals that she, she went to their emergency rooms to seek care after this harrowing ordeal. And um, although the physicians at both hospitals had determined that um, an emergency abortion was ne- the necessary care to stabilize her emergency medical condition, um, and that Ms. Farmer was at risk of um, hemorrhage, serious infection, blood clots, loss of her fertility, or even death um, if she didn't receive this care. Um, Their medical judgment was overridden by the hospitals where they they, uh, worked, and she was denied the care that she needed. Mm -hmm. And so we we filed these complaints um, with the federal government, and um, that those were the investigations that we spoke about previously, and the, the recent news is that um, CMS has issued notices of deficiency against both hospitals, um, making crystal clear that EMTALA required this care and that the hospitals violated federal law. Mm-hmm. So if EMTALA was something that was uh, in effect, then why was it that there was this problem with Melissa Farmer receiving the care that she needed when she needed it? The U.S. Supreme Court's decision um, in last last year in in the Dobbs case overturning Roe versus Wade, it created complete legal chaos and confusion and a total public health crisis, um, with you know actors, hospitals, physicians just unsure um, what the, their legal obligations were. I, I just can't understate how much overturning a constitutional right for the first time just pulled the rug out from under folks and had these ripple effects. Mm -hmm. And so this law has been around since 1986. EMTALA has been around since 1986. It has always required this care. Um, And it's critical, why this action is so critical is that this is the federal government making clear that this will be enforced and that there are consequences for not following it, Mm -hmm. irrespective of what the state law is. Right. So then with this investigation, I mean, what did it kind of show clearly that maybe people did not see before about the way that these hospital staff members and doctors interpreted, and that is how they understood and applied Missouri law? I think what this shows is that, you know, irrespective of the Missouri law, which is um, vague (laughs) um, and and. You know, it's a narrow. They ha- it has a narrow provision for medical emergencies that isn't a you know model of clarity. What this shows is that federal law requires this care, and that a patient um, they cannot wait till the patient is on the brink of death before providing this care. Um, in fact, 
um, for there to be an emergency medical condition that requires treatment on TALA. Um, one, one need not be in an in a immediately life-threatening situation, but rather it's enough that the absence of treatment could reasonably be expected to place the patient's health in serious jeopardy, which is exactly what happened here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Missouri's abortion ban has an exception. You've mentioned this for you know, medical emergency. Why wasn't this enough for Melissa's doctors to treat her? I mean, do you, have you gotten sort of a satisfying response to that question? I mean, quite frankly, I you know, reading reading these medical emergency provisions, and I call it a provision rather than an exception, because the the uh, the language in the Missouri statute is what, what is called an affirmative defense, which means that the um, you know the doctor who is prosecuted under these laws has to affirmatively prove that this was a medical emergency in order to take advantage of that provision and avoid liability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I call it a medical emergency provision, but. The truth is, again, that these are relatively narrow provisions, but they're also very vague. Um, and so, um, you know, it, I, I believe that this care should have fallen under that. But to the extent that, um, you know, the hospitals disagreed or read it otherwise, when a state law comes into conflict with a federal law, the federal law preempts under the supremacy clause of the Constitution um, and required that care. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how could or should doctors in a hospital uh, staff have navigated state law that bans abortion at the moment of a fetal heartbeat when it was a medical fact that Melissa's baby could not survive delivery. Well, they should have provided the care. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was it was egregious that they didn't, and it was also as CMS has made crystal clear now, it was um, a, unlawful. It was against federal mm-hmm. law. I mean, to what extent do you think that the the law has been written intentionally vaguely? I'm sorry. Well, um, could you like you said that there there is um, you know the exception um, for medical emergency. There's vagueness around that. I mean, to what extent do you think that it's sort of that intentional vagueness, so that it it, there's wide berth for interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to speak to the intent, but the fact of the matter is, is that it is unclear um, exactly what the scope of these provisions are, and that leads to confusion and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And so what is so important about this is that it puts these hospitals on notice that federal law independently requires this care regardless of any sort of, um, uh, you know, vague language that that would be in these state statutes. Mm -hmm. And what risks do these doctors face with these decisions? I mean, could the state prosecute them? I mean, so, you know, under EMTALA, because it is a federal law, EMTALA should preempt state criminal laws that are directly in conflict. And that is what is so key about this investigation, Mm -hmm. is that the federal government um, is is enforcing that and making it clear that EMTALA um, preempts um, to the extent there is a conflict. Um, but, you know, these are criminal laws at the state level. Um, we have heard from so many doctors who, um, you know, really do want to provide this care to their patients. They believe that it is their um, ethical, professional duty as well as their legal obligations under EMTALA. And so this enforcement action is really um, important in letting folks know what their legal obligations are under federal law. Mm-hmm. And are hospitals in a no-win situation now, given the incongruity 
of state law and federal requirements? Again, because federal law preempts, um, in some ways, um, hopefully this provides necessary clarity to hospitals um, to the extent there was any confusion before about what their federal legal obligations are. Mm -hmm. Um, As Melissa mentioned during our interview, she has gotten involved in some of the political aspects of this issue. Um, In October, she appeared in a campaign advertisement urging people not to vote for Eric Schmidt, who was then the Missouri Attorney General Um, running for U.S. Senate. How much responsibility do Missouri officials like Schmidt have in cases like the one Melissa experienced? So, you know, Melissa kind of explained her journey to getting to that point um, in, in her interview. And from her perspective, you know, she has said from the beginning over and over um, that she wanted to speak out because she doesn't want what happened to her to ever happen again to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it is important for those um, in power to be able to hear the real life impacts that um, the, the legal rhetoric and also the the laws that they are passing have on real humans. Michelle Banker is director of reproductive rights and health litigation at the National Women's Law Center. She represents Melissa Farmer in lawsuits against Missouri and Kansas hospitals that denied Farmer an emergency abortion in August 2022. Michelle, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.